don't know what to talk about as related to programming. Programming sucks. We should stop doing that. <laughs> you know it's hard. Computers and the internet and Skype calls, apparently. You, you know what's hard. Um, although, apparently, with, with what little Haskell I know, I successfully helped someone have a breakthrough in understanding Haskell. Nice. What was their... Uh, can you give us a summary? Yeah, so they were they were like they were making examples for for a talk, and they said they had an if block in a you know like a C type style language, and an if block in a a uh, list style language, and they said, well, then what goes in the Haskell thing? And I said, well, Haskell doesn't really work that way. It works with you need to like there's not really an if this that there's a there's types and then pattern matching. So it's not really. I don't know. Was I wrong? Am I right? I don't no, know. No, you're you're right. Uh, there is an if in Haskell, but it's not used very often. And I think it's also not very used very often in Lisp. But I haven't written enough Lisps actually. Yeah, because it's. I mean, I think they were they were just doing kind of the translation piece. So yeah, I mean, you really wouldn't necessarily do that in Lisp, but they were they were kind of trying to draw parallels and saying here's what these kind of feel like. So. So that was that's that's I don't know that's, that's apparently all the programming I've done. I've been doing a, a a lot of like bug squashing and stuff lately. Is that fun? So just um, it's I actually think it's kind of fun because there's kind of like this there's this terrible race. I mean, okay, I hate it, but sometimes I can put my brain into a space where I like it because I make it into a competition between me and the people making defects, <laughs> and then. My goal, like, if we could get to, although this was raised in chat, was that we were squashing them at such a rate, you know, closing the gap between created and resolved, but we'll never get to negative defects. So we have to figure out how to get to negative defects so that we can truly beat the QA team. Huh. So just like, never this is really not a healthy mindset, but it is helping me to squash, like, you know, six bugs a day. Like are, something ridiculous. Are these like uh, UI or server side or UI stuff generally? There's a, well, no, that's not true. There's been some server side stuff. Is it stuff like you're writing tests for? Or is it just like oh, this stuff is just weird, and once I fix this, it'll never happen again. It's that. Yeah. There's okay. not like yeah. I mean, it's stuff that especially I mean the UI stuff hard to write tests for, and then other things like oh well this is actually uh i mean you know some of them are this isn't our problem this this guarantee is supposed to lie in another layer of the application that's not ours um so like like one of the and i mean this is why i also developed the competition mindset is seeing the seeing the defect you know this thing was public this thing was not published and then it did not appear that's not a problem like that's that's them not doing a thing and then it not appearing because they didn't do a thing. Human error. Human error. Your bug is your workflow. In be- between user and keyboard. <laughs> but but that, that's when I really was like, okay, I'm just going to squash like all of these <laughs> and just annihilate them. So it's, it's getting down to, you know, the, you always get, well, for me, I always get down to the, the IE8 bugs. And so, which just, they just take so much longer because of running a VM. So, do you have like VMware or Parallels? No, I use the virtual box machines from IE.modern.ie. Oh, the uh, IEVM GitHub thing? 
or no? Sure. No, I don't think so. It's um. I think you somebody, just, I think somebody if you just go to modern.ie. Okay. I think yeah, they might there might be a GitHub thing now. I just know if you go to modern.ie, that's where you can always get the latest you know image VMs for you know when you get the well this looks bad on Windows eight but not on Windows seven. Like I don't know, but I gotta look at it. So so that's how you can get all those configurations for free. Yeah, I haven't done it for a while, but I think there was a somebody took those and wrapped them in some sort of more developer-friendly way where you could just, like, run a command and get IE running. I don't know if it was, like, Vagrant-based or what it was, but I will find it and put a link in the show notes. Did anybody else do any computering? I have done extracurricular programming for the first time since I moved. What did you program? I'm playing with a Slack bot in Elixir. I I saw that you starred a Elixir project for Slack, so I was about to ask. (laughs) My like my GitHub activity this month, um, yeah. So I finally settled in and uh, actually thought of a fun project, uh, but I'll have to uh, I'll have to expose my pick of the week in order to describe it. Um, so I played this game called Spyfall. It's a board game, uh, and it's one of those hidden role games, but it's very simple. Uh, so basically, if there's five people, one person is a spy, and everyone else is given a location. And somebody starts off and they ask somebody a question. Uh, so say we were all in a firehouse and Pam was a spy. I could say, I could ask her anything, but if she guesses the location, she wins. So I would say like, uh, hey, Pam, what would you wear to work? Or would you dress up when you come here? Something like that. Um, so trying to be ambiguous, but still figure out who is a spy. And I realized that that would be, that would actually be one game that could translate into like a slack room so i was thinking of writing a slack bot to kind of fire off that game that's pretty cool is that the slack bot you're working on right now or yeah i mean i only got so far as getting a slack bot that just like echoes whatever you type in upcase but it's somehow surprisingly fun to have a, a program talking to you in slack did you hard code your slack uh token or whatever or your url webhook url or did you I mean, so far, I'll, I'll, if okay. I get anywhere with it, I'll make it an environment variable. But yeah, I haven't I haven't got far enough to actually like need to configure anything in Elixir yet. Uh, so I was just curious. Oh, I did the well, I did the majority of the Phoenix tutorial. Oh, did, cool! But it so it really did. It reminded me a lot of Rails. Yeah, I mean, to the surprise of no one, but like I felt I felt like I wasn't learning really any Elixir in the process. Oh, really? Like the same way when we when we teach Rails for the first time to people, you don't really learn much. <laughs> you just kind of run the the things, and then you you kind of copy the style of the way the rest of the stuff works. You aren't really learning much about the language. This um, is my this is my opinion. Did it this seem any framework problems better or worse than Ruby and Rails to you? Like just just how it felt, or were you kind of like it didn't really feel different at all? Uh, I did like it's, I did like it's shiny JavaScript stuff, <laughs> the way the JavaScript came out of the box all hooked together. Although I was looking up what's the, um, what's the precompiler they use? They don't use gulp. They use, uh, broccoli, <sighs> cheddar, brunch, 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 brunch. Uh, I, I actually went and looked on GitHub to try and find other things using brunch and every single thing I found was a Phoenix project. <laughs> every single thing. I saw no one like I 
when because you know like you I, i'll sometimes do that if i'm curious what people are doing and something i'll browse github and search for you know pieces of something to you know replicate that file like when i was like trying to figure out how to to not be bad at travis ci i would you know look like look up lines so that everyone's travis ci file would come up also that's how i found out a lot of people put their passwords in clear text on github and that's a bad idea really? um yeah if you look up people's travis ci a lot of people put their passwords in clear text mm. um like disturbingly uh when it's when it's not that hard to encrypt it in Travis CI. It'd be different if it were, you know, you had to do a bunch of stuff, but the tooling is there to encrypt your stuff. So, PSA, do it. Um, I was listening to Elixir Fountain uh, with Is the... that a past podcast? Yes, podcast. Uh, Elixir Fountain. Elixir, yeah, it's Elixir Podcast. It's their, I think, third episode, maybe fourth. Um, but they had the creator of Phoenix, Chris McCord, on there, and uh, I learned by listening to that, that Phoenix was started with, uh, not WebSockets, but like, uh, what they call channels, like the, the streaming data from the server to JavaScript part. That was the first part of Phoenix that was written. And then once that was up and running, then they added like actual request response cycle, like, uh, client server HTTP. Um, that was just kind of interesting that they prioritized that before they actually did any like standard web server stuff. Uh, but what I was asking earlier about Elixir versus Ruby Pam with the Phoenix tutorial, I felt like the Phoenix, like uh, using it and just looking at the code, it seemed less magical than Ruby. Like it seemed like oh, everything I was looking yes. at on the screen, yes. like had something obvious yes. that it was tying to. <laughs> yes, all, all yes, completely agree with that. I did, I did like that, but and that that is a, but I mean that's not a Phoenix, that's a Elixir difference from Ruby. That's true. I would say um, in that in that things are explicitly included versus magic rubiness <laughs> that happens. So yeah, th- that's a really good point. Has Javon ever tried Phoenix or Elixir? Yeah, you did. I've tried Elixir. Four out of four Turing completists. <laughs> Remember, I wrote the. Uh... Oh yeah, the API for the baseball thing. No, 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 no. the string calculator. Oh right, right, right. Uh, we were talking about if statements. And then you were like, I'm going back to Clojure. Yeah, because I have to give a talk in Clojure. Or Clojure Script. Didn't you give but a yeah. talk in Clojure Script recently? Did it go well? Yeah, the second I, time I... it went well. <laughs> the first time was like a major conference. Yeah, so there's lots of nervousness. Uh, but the second one went well, I would say. But I would leave that to Justin to say. I thought it went great. I learned a lot. Cool. And people seem to really like it. Software's Craft is a good uh, meetup. Thanks. To attract a interesting crowd. And I like the idea of closure script, and I like the idea of like pure script. But I keep coming back to like I don't I don't mind using a different language than JavaScript on the front end. But I feel like anybody I work with will mind. If yeah. That makes sense. Like, and if I'm already using closure server side, it makes sense for me to use closure script client side. But if I'm using Elixir or Ruby or something else server side, I don't feel like it's a big enough win to like switch to a whole other language to compile to JS, even though I'd really like to. It gets to, into a, a very weird debug state. Well, they have like source And for maps. maintainability. Well, but maintainability. That's true. Yeah. What's so the finding, maintainability finding thing? You, well, finding you a closure script dev versus so... finding a JavaScript dev 
versus finding a Clojure developer who doesn't know anything about JavaScript, who then can write Clojure script but doesn't understand how the JavaScript VM <laughs> runs. So yeah. Uh, I think that's like a, a thing that people shouldn't care about. I've heard many recently many programmers say this, like, uh, like stop picking your language based on the talent that you can attract, or I guess the size of the, the talent pool, just hire smart people. I mean, I agree with that, but that's sometimes not actually practical. Like, yeah, so if you have a small team and you can hire people that are comfortable in your language, I'm sure it works fine. Mm-hmm. Although, no, I keep in mind again, I agree with you. <laughs> so uh, I was watching this O'Camel talk, and this is the first time I heard it, and it kind of made me sad because I was like, that guy probably would never hire me. Uh, but like, so I was like, why did you pick up camel? Like no one writes a camel. And he was just like, we hire the best. Uh, they enjoy a camel and like they have no problems I mean, learning it. And saying, they understand it so. saying that you hire the best is a great way to trick people into using O camel. Just going to throw that out there. Not that there's anything wrong with O camel. It's actually totally fine, but you because know, they'll start working and they'll be like, Oh, I'm the best. And then obviously <laughs> I should understand this. Is that what you're saying? No, that it was. I think my joke died. (laughs) We can let it go. It's withering on the vine as we speak. Explain your joke. Oh no, it just gets worse. It gets worse. (laughs) Trying to explain the joke, so we're gonna we're just gonna let that we're gonna let that that one go. Yeah. (laughs) Does anybody actually write O'Camel except for Jane Street? Uh, They pretty much have their own. They pretty much have their own language. They build stuff for O'Camel. That's how, uh, that's how hardcore they are. Uh, no, Qcon, there's a dude from Inc. wrote an O'Camel book and he writes stuff in O'Camel. Um, I think he works on hypervisor stuff. Not sure. Um, there are a few people. O'Camel is, is you know, it's not the language. It's just saying, like, we picked this thing that we felt was good for our use case, not because you know, we want to hire more developers. We trust that we can find developers that can use this tool in a good way. Right. Um, and I'm starting to think that people should stop looking at JavaScript as, you know, this, just this, the only language. Uh, like I would use ClojureScript if, uh, sync stuff for, the built-in data structures. And I think that's the future. And I want my UI to work just like my backend. I would use PureScript. So. And uh, so debugging-wise, like I was having problems with my demo this week, and Chrome was able to tell me the line of ClojureScript that was breaking. So I don't think that's a problem anymore. I'm not sure about PureScript. I kind of miss CoffeeScript because it was a better language, but still compiled to like really simple to understand JavaScript. So the arguments weren't very common. <laughs> I think I'm happy to spend some time with ES6 though and see how that goes. And I've been liking Ember. What are you doing with Ember? Uh, all the Atlas front end is Ember. Pam, will you continue uh, learning Elixir slash Phoenix? I would like to. I mean, I, I started on that because I think I asked you how to get started in Elixir and you said that starting in Phoenix was a good idea and then that's, so that's why I did that. 
And, but I haven't, I, so my idea for a silly website to build is, this is so silly, but now I might change it. But, um, I was thinking that I would make an e-commerce website for all things potato. And that's what I would build with Phoenix. Potato. So that you could get you, get you a potato, get you potato chips, a Mr. Potato Head, uh, <laughs> potato phone, I don't know. Potato salad. Potato clock, potato salad, uh, you sweet know. Sweet potato. I, I don't know. Sweet potatoes are not in the same family of plants. They're not, because you, you can be allergic to potatoes and still eat sweet potatoes. Yes, because sweet potatoes, or potatoes are in the nightshade family and sweet potatoes are not. So, uh, so I don't know. TBD. There could be a, like an Easter egg sweet potato page on there. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that was my silly, silly website that I was going to try and build with Elixir, with Phoenix and Elixir to actually, to actually do a thing, you know, uh, and, and see and fuss around with it and do something. So for the past three weeks, we've pretty much talked about Elixir. <laughs> <laughs> While all of us have failed to use it to any extent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's okay. I mean, that's like, of what we do on the podcast a lot. So. Yeah. I Just mean, yeah. Say. none of us have used like Ruby, Python, JavaScript, <laughs> uh, anything other than that in production, right? <laughs> oh, I was like, those are all the things that we have done. No, I mean, yeah, that's, that's all we have done, except for I mean, like, native stuff. Yeah, native, and I mean, some Java, but. Oh, yeah. That's not really an achievement. I just want to say that I shopped around a talk earlier this year. The title was. Elixir, the new Ruby. So when Elixir does become the new Ruby. Everyone will link to your video and be like, that dude. No, no, so the talk didn't get accepted anywhere. But I'm just saying, I said it first. Did you really, though? But I don't, no, no. Yeah, no, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Potato gun. Hot potato. I always wanted to build a potato gun. Mashed potatoes. They're super dangerous. Like just PSAs. They are. Potato guns are Wait, super are they... duper dangerous. What do you they mean? Can they can blow up. They can they can come fast. Don't build them correctly. I had them no. in high school. Well, it depends what you build them out of. You don't have to have them ignite. They could just be air pressure. Yeah, ours were like two PVC pipes, and you stick a potato in, and then you would put in like hairspray or something, something <laughs> aerosol, and then you'd close. You'd, you'd like screw on the cap. And then there was like a barbecue barbecue grill igniter. It's just like a little button that shot a spark in. And the potato would go flying out. Yeah, that's super dangerous. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Len's still alive. You're causing a controlled so, explosion inside a piece of plastic. So what did you shoot, Len? I mean, we just usually shoot it off for distance. Although I did have a friend okay. that shot it straight up once. And I was like, you know what we learned in physics last last week? <laughs> This could end very poorly. <laughs> it was like a middle of the field with nowhere to run, so we all just like covered our heads and luckily didn't come down and hit anybody. But it definitely hit the ground with enough power that the potato just liquefied. Oh my god. <laughs> Whoa. Right, and the potato has like significant mass. It's not it's like a pound. What's yeah. the terminal velocity of a potato falling? What's terminal velocity? Uh like when you drop something, it accelerates at a constant rate until it reaches a speed which it won't actually accelerate anymore. Probably because of wind drag. I did not right. go to. I did not have a physics physics degree, so do not. Isn't it something there. like nine for a person? Isn't it something like or 
I thought it was for anything. It was like the, it's like nine point something meters per second. That sounds right. 32 feet per second per second. So there's a Reddit for this. What's it called? Uh, no, it just says, does anyone know the terminal velocity of a potato? <laughs> there's an estimated terminal velocity for a potato that's 375 grams. What is it? 63.5 meters per second. That sounds fast. M slash S, I'm guessing, is meters per second. That's the only thing it could be. Yeah, it's not miles per second. Yeah, yeah you don't want to shoot a potato up. <laughs> yeah, not fast. straight up in the air. <laughs> I don't think I ever shot potatoes as a kid. I shot, like, like paper. Like, I, I never built, like, a full-size potato cannon. I just built, like, here is a tube and some stuff I stuffed in it with some hairspray or whatever and then lit it on fire. <laughs> Uh, but no, I never like launched a projectile. I did build. So I didn't build a potato gun at school, but I built uh, like a flame sound visualizer for our senior project. We took a length of pipe, uh, metal piping, and we drilled holes in it uh, going down, and then we put a diaphragm on how you had the gas at each table. Connect that. Then you light on a fire and you play the sound. The flames would. Heat and pipes, I thought it was related. That sounds cool. Organization called SEPTA tried some tickets for the Pope's visit, and they did not have a good time. And today they posted their solution to how they're going to fix it. Can you elaborate on what, what they were doing? Uh, so they were selling tickets. So apparently when the Pope comes to Philly, the city goes down, and uh, trains will only be running at certain stops. And they're pre-selling train tickets. I'm not sure if you can buy tickets during the visit. Um, and according to the article, tons of people swarmed the site in the to buy tickets so they can travel around when the Pope visits. It's in the thousands. I want to say 50-something. not sure. Uh, and then... this, their, their <laughs> e-commerce site fell over. Yes. Yeah, I don't know why. I didn't. They didn't post the. Oh, I, I mean, mean, just couldn't handle the traffic. Right, because they didn't do. It seemed I'm. I don't want to be mean, but I kind of got to be mean. Like they know how popular this is. They should have been prepared for scale. There's so many ways they could have mitigated some of those issues, such as a waiting queue, such as you know, just cloud flare. <laughs> And all those various ways to prevent your site from going down when you have a, a planned event. I mean, I agree. Yeah, in fairness, it's SEPTA. So, like, your <laughs> chances of having an event, like, I mean, you know, you yeah. generally. I always think they you know, knew that it was going to be that knew. many people. Really? I mean, that number is. I, I think it's one of those ones where that's part of being prepared that. Mm. You should expect more people to show up, especially when you make such a big deal about it being limited. That is, that's also the thing where it's, it's kind of that their publicity is what bit them as well because they, you know, they publicize that there's only so many and you can only buy them ahead of time and all this stuff. And so if I were anyone who's marginally prepared, I would have been one of those people like refreshing over and over again at you know 9:59 if the class, if the tickets were going on sale at 10 because that's what you do when you know that there's a limited number of things and so then you just swarm it with traffic. Yeah, I probably wouldn't expect that much traffic 
Like, even if I worked for SEPTA. But yeah, I, you should also have... Um, well, that's the interesting thing is like SEPTA is a regional rail line, right? Or regional transportation hub. There's only 1.5 million people in Philadelphia, the city proper. And maybe there's like, I think, 6 million in the whole suburb area. I don't know. In the metro area. Yeah. yeah it's the so, fifth largest. It's the fifth largest. Right. But still, that's like, at most, you're going to have a fraction of that hitting your site, right? Sure. But then this is this is really a global event that's and true. not a Philadelphia event. That's true. Yeah, they should be more prepared. I'm just trying to play devil's advocate of like, how often do they ever get 900 requests per second for whatever? Yeah, what's the worth? What's the worth to them to? I mean, the one day they should build like a really robust system to handle that much traffic. Or, but but yeah, but Pam's right. They should they should have better failure modes than just dying. Yeah, <laughs> they should have better failure modes well, than just going down. Like that's that's they came what I, up that's with what a I also sweet made. idea though. What's their sweet so idea is that a... people have to buy them in person with tokens? Is, is no, that their... they're going to use Ticket Leap, which is another ticket service. <laughs> oh, that's, that's going to fall over too. But they're using it. Ticket Leap has the, the stuff that you're talking about, like the queuing and stuff like that. But they're... So, and they're going to do a lottery, which yes. allows you, like, yeah. uh, like not many people come to the site at once. Like They have certain times they come. So I think Ticket Leap has some of the things that you would suggest to SEPTA, which is a good idea. Like, we're going to do this for one time. Let's pay a service that does this many times. Maybe not on that scale. I don't know. Uh, Yeah. I mean, so the thing that this really made me think of is, and why I I rolled super hard, is that I really appreciated, I I really appreciated that article earlier in the year, or maybe it was late last year where they talked where paper magazine or well, the consultant who worked on paper magazine talked about how they scaled paper so that it wouldn't fall over when it was uh, hosting the Kim Kardashian article. So is that Facebook paper or is that another paper? No, it's an actual magazine called paper because Facebook took that name that was used by other people. Oh, I just learned about this Facebook paper app. Wow. Um, yeah, no, it's how Paper Magazine's web engineers scaled their back end for Kim Kardashian, which is a pun because, you know, that's what was on the cover. <laughs> Are you guys ready for picks? Sure. Sure. I'll go first. Uh, I started using this app called Productive on my iPhone. Uh, and of course, Productive is not the greatest thing to search for on the internet. Uh, but it's essentially an app where you add, so iOS has reminders and there's other apps that have like, uh, task lists or reminders. These are things that you're supposed to do every day, like habits. So one of my habits is wear my contacts because I've been wearing glasses for a long time and I'm supposed to be wearing contacts for medical reasons and I just never got used to them. But if I wear them every day, I'll probably get used to it. So I have something here to wear contacts. One is like take vitamins, um, I need to work on a talk that's due in a few weeks. Uh, exercise. So I just have all these things in here, and then I open it up, and it shows like what I've done so far today and what I haven't, and then it keeps like stats of uh, here's how many days in a row you've been doing this. And it has really powerful scheduling too, like um, like put away dishes. I only want to do Monday, Wednesday, Thursday for some reason. Uh, so you, it's it's really a cool app. Uh, they also have an Apple Watch app, but it's Still not fast enough to actually use over the iPhone app, I don't think. Uh, so you just search in the App Store for Productive. It'll come up, or I'll put a link in the show notes. How much does it cost? 
It is free, but if you unlock uh, more than five habits, whatever they call them, uh, I think it's $4. Plus, you get like, a lot of other stuff like stats and things, but you can try it for free. Jervon, do you have a pick? Yes, I do. Can't believe I'm going to do this, but there's this Taylor Swift song that I really like called Bad Blood, and that's my music pick. I like Taylor Swift. I'm glad you picked Taylor Swift. Awesome, awesome. Uh, and then uh, my programming pick is like, if you want to get started with ClojureScript, it's, it used to be really difficult to figure out what to do, um, but there's this template called Mize, M-I-E-S. Uh, you just say line, uh, new Mize, your project name. and. So my pick is Emoji Translate, which is a a tool that where you can type English and you it translates it into emoji for you. This sounds amazing. It is amazing. Oh and God. so you can can check it out and play with the demo and it's really funny. So my pick is Spyfall. Uh and more specifically uh not just the board game but there's also uh, a website. So you can play this game if everyone just has access to the internet uh via their phone. You could just go to spyfall.meteor.com, and they also have a Meteor app up on GitHub. Uh, and that's it. I have uh, one thing I want to say, too. Uh, Pam reminded me of it, um, the emoji thing. So uh, Chad Ostrowski is working on this site called, I'm going to find it, uh, entire.life. That's the domain. Um, so... And I actually found out the, these through him, uh, I think on Instagram like a while ago. But there's this website that sells these life calendars. So it's like a, uh, bought this like 16 by 20 poster that just has a box for every week of your life from zero to a hundred or like 92 or something. Um, so you can essentially just like see in, oh, and it has 52 columns. So every, every row is a year. Um, so you can kind of like visualize your entire life and like you can fill it in like what, what you're doing in like each week or each year or like different stages of your life, like which school you're in or, or when you moved or all kinds of things. So Chad's working on this site that is the same thing, but on the internet. So uh, he has one up for, for his life. And a really cool idea was all the weeks have emoji. So all the weeks are just dots unless they have an emoji and then you can uh, mouse over the emoji and it shows a blurb about what happened at that point. Uh, it's really cool. I like it. I'm excited to to try it out. Um, Yay! I uh, so that his project's based off of Brittany Forks her uh, life calendar because I I sent it to Chad because I knew he had one of those paper ones and so this is all. Oh, so it's she all... made the the digital one. He's making like a self service uh, digital one. Yeah. Okay. So, I yeah. See now. And and it's really it's cool. They're like you know they're in contact and it's all it's very it's very neat. So someone made something on the internet, inspired someone else, and now they're making something so other people can use it. Everything is a remix. Yeah, it's, it's very cool. <laughs> um. So yeah, uh, we should link to to hers too. Uh. So yeah, that, I just want to mention that because the emoji thing made me think of it. Yay, emoji. Cool. So show notes are at turing.cool slash 58. Uh, follow us on Twitter at turing.cool, and I'll talk to you guys next week. See you.